Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. So our podcast is called Right and Wrong. So are these your notes? These, <laughs> these are your notes about what we're going to say? Uh, anything Nailed is it. a short answer. <laughs> so how many novels did you not finish? Oh my prior? God, so many. <laughs> Perfect. What are you talking about? This is nonsense. Ooh, a spicy question. I love it. This is it, guys. The big secret to getting published is you have to write a good book. Yeah. You better hear first. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to the Right and Wrong podcast. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest, the winner of the Waterstones Children's Book Prize and Blue Peter Award in 2022. It's Hannah Gold. <laughs> Hi, Hannah. Welcome to the show. Hi, Jamie. I always laugh at the introduction because it makes me sound like much more grandiose than I actually am. But yeah, great to be here. <laughs> Nonsense. You have a you have a, a lot of critical acclaim and, and many uh, awards and shortlists to your name. It's been a good, been a good run. So yeah, I've been, <laughs> it's been a good ride so far. So long may it continue. Yeah, it's been yes, fantastic indeed. actually. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I know that you are um, very, very busy. Uh, some people listening may have already seen this online, but you have just made a very exciting announcement. I have, yeah. So we've um, been sitting on this, honestly, about 18 months, but a couple of well, middle of start of January, we announced that I've got a sequel to The Last Bear coming out. So that comes Amazing. out end of September, which I'm really, really excited about. It's like, yeah, it's, it's it was the book that I wanted to write next. When the publisher said, yeah, go for it. I was like, yeah, this is, this is, this is a nice thing to do. <laughs> so um, The Last Bear, obviously your, your debut, uh, very successful when when you when that came out when you were writing that was it always something you wanted to do to do a do a sequel do a follow up I think so so when I wrote the last bear which was kind of backtracking was 2019 I started writing it and um it was such a heartfelt project and when I got to the end for those of you who've read it uh, it's quite an emotional ending, although spoiler, mm. no bears die, <laughs> you know, no bears die in this, but it's an emotional ending. And it felt like the ending almost kind of cried out for a follow-up. And also because I just loved writing the book so much. But when I spoke to my agent, when we were subbing it to publishers, and I said, you know, do you think I they'd want a, a series of this? She said, no, let's just pitch it as a standalone and so we pitched two standalone books, um, which I then got the two book deal on. And it wasn't until really that um, The Last Bear started to come out and started to sort of gain a lot of traction. I was getting a lot of attention and I had a lot of kids very, very early on saying, 
well, what happens to April and Bear? Are they going to see each other again? Or oh, is there a sequel that I proposed it to my publisher? I think uh, it was mid-2020, so it was quite early on. The hardback had only been out a handful of months. And they were like, oh, yeah, that, that sounds good. And the conversation died down. And then I pitched, and then she said, I had another idea that I was talking about. And I started waffling on about that one on a phone call to my editor. And she said, about about the sequel, though, to the last pair, <laughs> I think you should do that one. And um, yeah, I got the go ahead. And that was that. Oh, okay. So there wasn't, it wasn't like um, a lot of back and forth between you and your agent and the editor and the publisher. It was kind of, it was, it was, it's been there for a while. And then someone just said, oh yeah, no, let's do that. Yeah, but because obviously the book had done, when you're in a position where your book has done really well, which I am, which is a, which is like the dream position to be in. And when it comes to sort of negotiating a new contract, I think that you hold much more of the sort of the trump cards in a way, um, because you're not having to go back and forth and pitching various ideas and will they take them, will they not take them. They were like, by the time that my contract came up for renewal, it was actually when we knew we had won the prizes. And so there was kind of almost like no way they were going to let me go. And so, and at that point I pitched, you know, the sequel and they were like incredibly on board and really, really excited and can see that it was such a good follow-up as a book three. And that's when they gave me like a three book contract with uh, Finding Bear as the first one of the three book contract. Oh, okay. And will will all three be um, follow on from the bear? <laughs> the bear. <laughs> the bear. <laughs> from the bear. The no, bear is back. No, I think, um, but I don't have book five in my head at the moment, okay. but I've got the okay for book four, but it's another standalone. Okay, okay, okay. And of course, when we're talking about um, these novels, uh, we, we need to talk about the amazing uh, Levi Pinfold, who did yeah. the illustrations for uh, The Last Bear yeah. and The Lost Whale. And also for Finding Bear as well. Okay, yeah. I was going to ask, no matter what you know, discussions or what you ended up doing, was he always going to be attached to well, whatever? Yeah. yeah. It's actually funny because, Jamie, because at that time, the editor who had acquired me um, for yeah. the first two books... And I was very, very close to her, but I think most of us listening, or maybe the authors amongst us would have experienced that often people move on in publishing, Mm -hmm. and my editor moved on. So the one that said, I really want the sequel, she left HarperCollins, and it was Uh. just as my contract was being renewed, and it was a really sort of quite an emotive time where I felt a bit floundery and Harper Connors are like, don't worry, don't worry, you know, and I was, we'll, we'll take care of you and um, it'll all be fine. And I was like, oh, but she's going. <laughs> and they kind of said like, how, how can we make this right for you? And I said, but I can't do the sequel without, without Levi. And, <laughs> and then she was sobbing like that. And they said, yeah. we will get him. And then, and then I didn't start the book until I absolutely knew that he was locked down to do the sequel because what is the last bear or bear without Levi on board? So as soon as I know that he was locked in, it was like, right, mm. I can start. <laughs> I guess uh, there's there's comfort in, in sort of like you have a kind of team and like one person, the, your editor left, so you, that was a part of your team losing. So it's nice to know that you still had Levi on board. 
And actually, um, just going, losing the editor was was wasn't very nice, you know, in terms of the publishing kind of perspective. But what it did yeah. do was bring me into the fold with all of the team, because quite often you have quite a myopic relationship with your editor, to the exclusion of the other members of this amazing publishing team. And what happened was, I kind of got to meet the art director, I got to meet, you know, the designer. I just was brought into the wider team. So one, I think it actually worked out brilliantly. My new editor is amazing. Anyway, it was it was all fine. Um, but with Levi, Levi is a slightly separate entity because he's not even based in the UK. He's based in Australia. And all of our communication sort of basically goes via the publisher anyway. But he is such an integral sort of part of the book. He's like, I can't imagine I can't imagine my books without him doing it. And I know yeah. much of the success in terms of the visuals is obviously how HarperCollins have packaged the books. But yeah, I mean, the cover, the cover for The Last Bear was just out of this, you know, amazing. Yeah. I mean, he completely outdid himself. The, yeah. the, the imagery is absolutely sensational. You mentioned that he's in Australia and yeah. it's sort of, it's less communication there, but what's the actual, what's the process sort of like working uh, with an illustrator? Is it as simple as you send off the manuscript and then just kind of wait and see, or is there more of a back and forth? It's a little bit more of a back and forth because I think, I think it's the art designer. I might have got her name wrong, but there's somebody that you'd find this at all publishers. And what she does is she decides where in the book that it, which parts of the book deserve or need an illustration. So she sets out, so she sends me a brief saying like, you know, page 67 when, um, you know, April feeds bear peanut butter. I think we need an illustration there. And I kind of say, yeah, that's a really good thing. And I might say, look, I think we need another illustration because you've not got this. Like in the original book, there was an illustration where April and bear are listening to the earth. And I thought, and that wasn't in the brief. And I said, I really want that because that's just integral to who I am as an author. That's the message of the books, you know. So they put that in. And so then, and then he Levi then has that. So then he does his roughs, his drafts. But his drafts are very, very kind of high standard anyway. Yeah. So I then see those drafts of the illustrations, and I might say, yeah, look, well, Dad's missing his glasses in the shot, or. You know, you're missing a chimney for this cabin, or you know, the whale with Lost Whale. It was very much about the tail. I kept saying okay. the fluke's wrong, the fluke's wrong. You uh. know, <laughs> um, yeah. And then he goes back and then works in those corrections. But so it's back and forth, but it's not massively back and forth. Okay, you obviously have some kind of input in it, but are you sort of slightly more periphery, and it's more between him and the, and the art directors and the team at, at Harper. Yeah, definitely. I think, okay. yeah, that, yeah. And I go back and I kind of, I, I give my my input, but I trust him when I trust them. And yeah. I know that he's going to deliver to a really high standard. And um, we had a chat actually, me and Levi, just before Christmas, the first time we've actually spoken, we had a Zoom chat and that was great. And I, I talked to him about book three, Finding Bear, and you could see his eyes lighting up and, you know, working out, you know, the cover, what the cover would be. But it is much more between them and I just provide feedback in a way, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that's, I guess it takes some of the sort of worry off your plate. What was it like um, when you when you kind of first got Last Bear out and you, and you first saw the sort of um, early kind of versions of what Lever had come up with for, for your story and characters? Well, where the HarperCollins work is a bit weird, actually, because they don't, 
they didn't give me any rough drafts of the cover. Okay. They just presented it as this fate to come play. And so they're like, right, the cover's coming, the cover. And I knew it was going to be good, but I yeah. had no concept of really what to expect. And then I write, okay, here's the, here's the cover. We're on tenterhooks here. Do you like it? <laughs> and obviously I was blown away. I was like, oh my yeah. God, it's amazing, you know. Um, and then what, you know, because when you have the story in your mind and the, the characters are so personal to me, um, and then seeing him sort of breathe life into them, but also like the vastness of the landscapes that he's created as well. I was just like, oh my gosh, these are just amazing. Yeah, he yeah. never fails to blow me away. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, there's n- there's nothing worse than, uh, I've heard the occasional story of, a, of an author, and obviously yours is fully illustrated, so it's different, but you know, some authors ha- get um, given sort of covers and and, and they don't love them and that's yeah. kind of heartbreaking when you've put so much into a book and and, uh, and it doesn't like match what you what you had in in your head i think that is tough i've had a few author friends in that position you just have to sort of give out this public face of oh i love it but privately you're like oh i don't like it <laughs> but um, yeah sometimes you have to trust the publisher but sometimes the publisher does get it wrong as well so um, yeah. it's always worth feeding back yeah I, what I would say is that the, the the marketing team and a lot of the design teams at the publishers are much more in like their job is to literally know what is kind of grabbing people's eyes in bookshops, what is selling well in terms of like the visual of things. So I imagine that they usually know what they're doing. Yeah, and they do market research as well because sometimes exactly. if a cover maybe isn't working on the hardback and you know, let's say you've got a hardback paperback, you know, run. They'd kind of go back and do some market research and get some feedback, and mm-hmm. and often they work with booksellers as well, like key buyers, and sort of have a collaborative process with them too. So it's quite a lot that goes on behind the scenes for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a complicated, uh, a complicated beast. Publishing is. Yes. Let's turn back the dial here and just rewind. Um, I love to hear about people's uh, writing origin stories, and am I right in thinking that you used to do screenwriting? Yeah, I mean that my my profile is like really kind of like it it, it says screenwriting, but you know, kind of the reality is after <laughs> every profile is that when I was at uni, I studied I studied screenwriting, and somehow that's kind of been like transposed into being some kind of screenwriter. But after I left, I did I did screenwriting at uni, and I always always wanted to be a writer. Then after yeah. I left uni, I did work in the film industry for a little while. So I worked for like a couple of actors, agents. I worked for like a TV kind of production company. And I also okay. worked for a, a two or three theatre companies as well. Um, so that was my sort of early 20s background. Um, right. Yeah. At what point did you decide that you wanted to move into uh, like literature, children's books? I'd always wanted to be a children's author, but I suppose somewhere, I don't know how I went down the film route. And I had like, I'd, I'd written like a short film that got shortlisted for the at that time, there was a BBC 10 by 10 scheme, which um, I think it was 10 by 10 or 5 by 5. I can't remember. It's like a short film thing. I didn't go over the line and I was really gutted. But I think I always thought, right. well, I'm cutting my teeth in film yeah. and theatre. I'm, I'm learning. And I think for me, most of my journey has been about gathering the confidence and the worth to actually give my dream a go rather than holding it at arm's length. Right. Okay. Okay. So... Obviously, you'd written some screen plays and theatre stuff, uh, bits and bobs. Had you had you written 
much in terms of like prose before Last Bear? Not really, like a couple of short stories and nothing had ever happened. Um, uh, like some non-fiction articles for travel magazines because I spent quite a long time living in Spain. Um, but no no real sort of attempt at a book. Um, but in 2006, I'm sort of remembering parts of my story. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 2006, I got this, I somehow got this... Um, writer residence opportunity in this really gorgeous boutique hotel in Sydney, Australia. And at that point I decided I was going to give my writing prose a go and write a YA book. And I don't Uh know why I chose YA other than I thought maybe, oh, it's an easy entry and it would be, you know, or at that time it was selling well. Yeah. Uh, uh, Yeah. 2006, that checks out. Yeah. And so like I was like, okay, I'm gonna give YA a go. And that book literally took about six years to write. But it was like what I call my sort of um, you know, learning curve. I mean, yeah. I remember sending a really early draft of that out to agents and they were like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> not laughing. It was like, well, come back, you know, in a few years essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I you know, I was clueless. I didn't know anything. But that's that began the journey of studying the market, studying publishers, studying which agents were out there and then after six years i <laughs> took a long time i decided to write another ya book because nothing had happened with the first one other than well then nothing really happened with the first one but the second book i kind of wrote which is another ya book and i sent that off to agents and with this book i got a few um what is it full manuscript requests okay and i got i remember i got four and i remember thinking you know what <laughs> the one of these is going what are the odds one of these is going to yield in an agent and then one by one they all obviously turned around and said no apart from one that never got back to me and i do remember very very clearly kind of literally sobbing on my husband's shoulder just feeling absolutely devastated and feeling like so deflated and thinking like oh you know it's just you know i've got so close but it's it just felt like in that moment it was never going to happen for me i really really remember that and for about a year or two after that i just couldn't write at all because i was just really kind of take i've taken it so personally and all of those things and and then um then i realized you know after a year or two well why was I writing YA anyway my heart was i never wanted to be a YA writer i wanted to be a children's author so that's when i thought I'm, I'm going to give this another go, but I'm going to do the book I really want to do this time. And that's the children's book. And that okay. book was The Last Bear. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yes. And from what I've heard, that time around, you're subbing to agents and then a- your agent to, to publisher was a, was a total whirlwind. Did that, did that happen in like record time? I think it was really quick. I don't know about record time, but I know, I think the whole writing of the book and getting the agent. So I started writing the book and the book was originally called Bear Island at that point. I started writing it in February. By the summer it finished. So I was subbing it out. 
Um, I think I got a critique on it actually, and that took a bit of time because she was I was in a queue. So I think by beginning of September, I was subbing it actually. Correction. Yeah. And then I started to get kind of like the full manuscript requests quite quickly, but nobody really was like, "Oh my gosh, I'm going to sign you up within 48 hours of reading it." It wasn't that experience. Okay. Yeah, and then, um, but the agent I really wanted was Claire Wilson. And uh, I sent it to her and I hadn't got any response whatsoever. And I'd seen on her website, you know, that she she was technically supposed to respond within six weeks. So I remember saying to an author friend of mine, look, Claire hasn't responded and it's been eight weeks. (laughs) Do you think I should nudge her? And my friend said, best advice ever, definitely nudge her. So I nudged Claire on the Monday and I said something like, you know, I'm, I'm starting to get a few full manuscript requests, but, you know, basically you're my favourite. I'd really love you to um, to read it if you've not already. And then on the yeah. Wednesday, she wrote back and she said, you know, I love it. Send me the rest of the book. And on the Friday, she offered. Okay. And that was the end of November. So I'd started the book in February. And by the end of November, nine months later, I had the agent. And then we did a couple of light edits over Christmas, um, and then we start went on sub beginning of January. And I got I did get the deal very quickly. Oh, okay, that was that that part of it was quite quick. But but the actual subbing to agents was was um, was it yeah nine months or something? Did you say? Yeah, no, nine months of between start between first page and acquisition with the publisher was eleven months in total. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's quite good. And then I think I would have been out on sub from beginning of se- middle of September, beginning of September to getting the agent end of November. So I feel like that's pretty standard, you know, it wasn't overnight. It, there is no, I think for, for subbing to agents, there is no like standard. Some people, some people sub and get picked up off their first sub. Some people sub for two years before they get picked up, you know, it's, yeah. It's all variable, but uh, that's amazing. They got picked up so quick by a by a publisher because you hear so many stories of um, manuscripts just dying on submission from the agent. I know. I think also. I think Claire is like a super agent. She is absolutely one of the best, and she just had this reputation of like, if you get Claire Wilson, you know, the publishers always put her books, her subs, top of the pile. And so I had this thing about her. She's like, you know, she's amazing. And so we went out on the sub and I remember it was quite, it was the middle, second week of January and the next, it was the next day I got an offer. It, it was 24 hours later, which is incredible, you know. That's amazing. I, I know. Yeah. I was sitting on the sofa and she goes, we've got this offer in. That's the first <laughs> one. But actually in, in the end, it actually only turned out to be two offers. So again, uh, if this offers any reassurance, I wasn't one of those books that had like, 10 or 14 publishers all outbidding each other i had an auction i had one had the first offer came in on the tuesday which was a preempt i turned the preempt down um and then which is quite brave i think in hindsight yeah yeah and then and then in the end i met with two publishers one of them dropped out last minute i dropped met with two publishers on the thursday um, and on the Friday, I think I chose Harper Collins. So a lot of publishers were interested, but they didn't, they, they couldn't get it over the line with the acquisitions team. So right, yeah, sure, sure, sure. So so it was actually only it was only a two way auction in yeah, the end. It was, yeah. So I think in a way that's quite a lot of 
I think that's quite, what's the word? Hopefully that's inspiring or hopeful for others because the success of the book, I think, even surprised HarperCollins. And so if you look at how well the book has done in terms of awards and sales and things like that, there's a lot of publishers out there that when you make a deal, when you make an offer, you're basing it on how much money you think the book's going to make. And they, I think, got made the wrong call, you know, for many of them in terms of like getting it through the, the finance department. And so hopefully that shows that publishers don't always kind of get it right in terms of their sums and their predictions. Sometimes yeah. a book comes out and it does really well. And sometimes a book which is really backed comes out and it doesn't do that well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we are we are all just human beings. Everyone working at the publisher, all just human beings. We all make mistakes. And that's not to say that you know, my book's the most amazing book out there because it isn't. I'm just saying that like, some people wouldn't have wanted it because they just weren't into it enough. But I think in a few cases, it was a business decision. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And there's these, these business decisions, especially from publishers, there's so many variables that go into these things. And it's the same with agents. Like, yeah. I always say this, you know, don't take your rejections, try not to take them personally because whether it's an agent or a publisher, they might really like it, but they can't take it because they have something that competes with that that's coming out soon or already on their list, or yeah. it's like too similar to something else. And it's exactly. they just can't because of scheduling. There's so many different reasons other than them, you know, it's Hating not enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not enough that they just like it a lot of the time. No. Sometimes it has to be the right time, the right place, the right person, all that. Yeah, one of the publishers turned it down because there was an author on their kind of book, so they had invested in long time. They're just too similar to me. Yeah. And yeah, I, exactly. I remember I've spoken to the editor since. She's going, oh, you know, I really, I really liked your book, you know, but we couldn't, we couldn't offer because of this other author that we had who's writing kind of similar things. And yeah. And interestingly, yeah, yeah, yeah. one of the reasons that Claire, my agent, did offer was because she was specifically looking for uh, a, a green type ecological book that wasn't dystopian. She was looking <laughs> for my book. And so when my book landed, it was like, boom, okay, well, that's the book I was looking for. So oh, yeah, it's okay. interesting. Yeah, no, it is really interesting. I, d- I know you you, uh, you said that you, you you didn't know why you started writing YA, but... Now, now that you're kind of very much in middle grade uh, with your books, do you, do is there like an inkling in your in the back of your mind somewhere that you at some point may want to try a different age group? Yeah, but I wouldn't go to why again. I just, <laughs> I just don't, I'm not edgy enough for why again. My books are unashamedly kind of quite sentimental and okay. uh, you know full of love and big feelings, and yeah, I, yeah, I don't yeah. think I'm. Yeah, I'm not edgy and dark enough in a way. Not that all YA is like that. That's my perception of it, I admit. I would like to write picture books. I'm talking mm-hmm. about that at the moment. And I'd like to do maybe a sort of a young chapter series. But yeah, I mean, children's books from my heartland is. So yeah, you know, never say never, but I don't see myself aging up at the moment or anytime soon. Aging down though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and not because I think that's easier, but just because I think there's a lot of joy in and a lot of learning in writing shorter books and sort of yeah. you know, honing your craft and learning how to tell a story but in fewer words, but still keeping the thematics where Oh yeah, I think it's I think it's very difficult to write um to, to high quality picture books. You because you have so few words. Yeah, and I'm, I'm I like and I like books which really spare, you know, my my preferences like I like books which have white space metaphorically and literally on the page I'd, I'd like the less is more adage and so yeah to do that in a picture book i think is going to be like a real challenge but yeah a really good thing to do 
yeah, I'm sure I'm sure it's one of those things where you'll just even if you tried to do it for a bit and didn't end up actually publishing a picture book, I'm, I'm sure you would learn so much just from the process of trying to figure that out that it would help you know, yeah. if you're other writing. Yeah, I think so. Definitely. There's just so many kind of opportunities out there. And uh, I feel lucky, you know, I feel in a, a really good position. And I know that my journey has been sort of, sort of not privileged because I don't think when you say it's luck, you're not owning it. But I feel like I'm in a, I've got a good foundation below me and I feel supported by the publisher. So I have the space and the confidence to try to branch out. But um, I don't know what I'm saying with this, but <laughs> other than, you know, it's a great yeah. position to be in. And, yeah. No, I get it. Yeah. I get it. So book three on the way, you, you've, uh, you've, been, you've been doing this writing malarkey for a while now. Do you think the way that you plan and write uh, your, your manuscripts now has, has changed a lot since when you first started? I think one of the biggest things I've learned is like I don't need necessarily the big chunk of time that ideal writer Hannah would need. Because when I write, when I wrote Finding Bear, that's when my schedule was at its busiest. I was kind of, you know, going to the award ceremonies, um, which yeah, which are great. But then I was having to do book tours, had lots of festivals and school visits, and just lots of things. So I never had one chunk of time, and that worried me that I couldn't sort of cognitively just dip into and embrace my writing. But actually, I did it, and then I realised, oh, you know, I don't although it's ideal, I don't need one big chunk of four months blank schedule. I yeah. can write a book in pieces um, and it still be a good book. And so for me, that was a big sort of, yeah, a learning curve about just showing up to the page, even when you're busy and on the move, even though it's not ideal. In terms of planning, I'm exactly the same as I've always been. I don't, I'm not a massive planner. I just immerse myself in the in the story feeling um, and the characters and the settings and the themes. And I, I really like to live and breathe it before I start it. Kind of trust the team around me and my editor. Um, I think book three, I did try to make it sort of more pacey. Hopefully it's pacey. Not that the first two books aren't pacey, but I was much more aware of the commercial potential of it. Sure. So I think that's where I lean towards a little bit, just always thinking about, having met a lot of my readers now and knowing what they like and what they don't like so much it's it's becomes like this kind of two-way process where I'm tuning into them and thinking okay well I'm still writing my story but actually yeah I'm writing it for them too and so you kind of yeah it just becomes this really nice relationship between author and reader I think when you finally get published and you've got yeah yeah people who like your books so it's I think I'm leaning towards being even more commercial if I would say that Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, Finding Bear is out on the 28th of September? Correct. Comes out in lovely hardback. Uh, <laughs> even though hardbacks probably they never sell, because mine are like, they're just really beautiful and they give yeah. size. So hopefully people will kind of like, I know that money's really tight. And so you never take it for, for granted. And, you know, the paperback will come out as well. And that will still be really beautiful. But it comes out in hardback 28th of December. And as 28th of September, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And as we speak, I know we're recording this kind of in January, the paperback version of The Lost Whale comes out beginning of February. Okay, amazing. So lots to look forward to. Yeah. And that, I think, brings us to the final question, which as always is, 
Hannah, if you were stranded on a desert island with a single book, which book would you take with you? Well, I kind of, this is quite easy for me because I would take Love in the Time of Cholera by Gabrielle Garcia Marquez. And the reason being, when we say desert island, I imagine it's warm. So it's got to be, I always like to read a book which fits the surroundings. And that's obviously set in Colombia. And it's kind of like, I really was inspired by like South American literature when I was in my 20s and the whole magic realism. And for those people who have read my book, particularly in The Last Bear, there's a real sort of sleight of hand going on between what parts of the book are real that you can actually, you know, go on a desert, on an island. And then what parts of the book are magical? And it happens so gradually that you never really notice, actually, well, she shouldn't be writing on about feeding in peanut butter. But you take it and you believe it. So I really love that. And there's something about that book, which is just, again, it's so unashamedly sentimental to the point where he's making a parody of it almost, of the way that they end up in this kind of going down the, a river into a sunset on a boat. Um, so I love yeah. the writing. I love the emotions of it. I love kind of like, yeah, the magic realism of it. And there's a scene in it which always struck me because, I don't know, have you read the book? I've not, no. No, okay. Well, it's quite dense, but there's a scene where it's about this guy that's in love with this woman all his life and it's almost like an unrequited love. Uh And one day he goes to the restaurant and she's in the same restaurant and you can see her reflection in the mirror. Um, and he never talks to her, he never lets her know that he loves her, but he takes that mirror, he buys the mirror from the restaurant and he keeps it in his house because, it, you know, you can still see the image of her reflection in it. And um, it's, it, anyway, it's a bit weird, but I really like it. I just, <laughs> I just love books with big emotions yeah. and love. I mean, the last pair is basically one big love story, essentially, yeah. but in, in middle grade. And so a book about love, I could dip oh, in on that, nice. that, that a long time, yeah. And love is something that you're going to want if you're stranded by yourself. On yeah, the <laughs> it just reminds it's just the feelings based, and uh, yeah. So, and the writing, the quality of the writing, I admire as well. So, okay, amazing. Well, sounds like it sounds like a wonderful book. I will definitely add it to my to be read list. Thank you so much, Hannah, for 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 coming on the the show and sharing all of your experience and telling us all about what it's been like uh, for you putting these books out into the world. It's been really great chatting. No, thank you, Jamie, for having me. It's always a, it's nice to talk about, you know, your experiences. When I was sort of an aspiring author, I remember listening to lots of podcasts like this and sort of thinking, you know, would it be me one day? You know, w- would I be able to do it? And like I said earlier on, my biggest thing was the confidence and the self belief. And so, if anybody is watching, I'm, I'm literally just, you know, it's like I'm just a regular normal person sitting in my tracksuit top with a hair tied back. If yeah. it can happen to me. And I've not reached any kind of great pinnacle. I've just happened to win a couple of awards, but I'm over the line. If it can happen to me, it can happen to anyone is what I would say. Yeah, that's a a lovely sentiment. And for anyone listening, if you want to keep up with uh, everything that Hannah is is doing and and all the the books and news that you can follow her on Facebook, you can find her on Twitter at hgold underscore author, on Instagram at hannahgold underscore author, and on TikTok at hannahauthorgold. Also her website, www.hannahgold.world. To make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast, you can follow the Right and Wrong podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And if you're after more writing and storytelling discussions, check out my other podcast with YA authors Naomi Gibson and Melissa Welliver, The Chosen Ones and Other Tropes. Thanks again to Hannah for coming on and thanks to everyone for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode. 
Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.